ahead and take your Bibles. If you've got them, go ahead and turn to middle, right in the middle of your Bible. Proverbs chapter 4 is where we're going to be in a, a few minutes. Uh, let me do a couple things before we jump in there. First of all, thank you very much as a church. Uh, yesterday, over 1,000 of you all spread out over 26 projects in three different counties and served uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, all right? We don't, uh, we don't serve because it's a nice thing to do. We don't serve because it's the, even the right thing to do, although it is. We serve primarily because we have been served in the gospel, all right? Jesus said this. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He also said, the greatest among you, they, you will, they will be a servant, all right, so again, we, we serve and demonstrate the gospel, and just great job on that. Uh, again, a 1,000 of you all went out there. I got to about three of them. Uh, every, it was everything from raking uh, mulch to restoring flooded areas to ministering to veterans to all different kinds of stuff to doing block parties, all that. So well, well done. One uh, block party that I got to in a... In a this person lived there for, I think, 24 years. He said, he said, hey, I've lived here for 24 years and not one church has ever come into this neighborhood before. So, all right, just well, well done, all right? So, again, whether that be Hendersonville, Franklin, West, East Asheville, uh, great job. Franklin, great, great job on that. All right, so here's where we're going to start a series for, it's just a short one. It's like kind of to get us to June. It's really the, the month of May and it's called How To. And we're looking at the, like, the top five questions that always come in. It's like, how does this work? And there's some ones like, how do I understand my Bible? All right, how do I beat temptation? All right, how do I make a difference? All right, but today is one that more than likely is at least in the top three as far as the most frequently agonized over and asked questions. And that is, how, like, how do I know how do I know God's will? How do I know what God wants me to do? All right, how do I discover that? I, I got a bunch of questions that I have, and there's a lot of decisions that we all make. Uh, scientists said that an adult makes 30, somewhere around 35,000 choices, decisions every single day. 35,000. You didn't even know that, but I mean, so you, some of you already made like 7,000 decisions uh, already. But 35,000, now granted, some of them are small. Like, what am I going to wear? Uh, what time am I going to set my alarm for? Uh, you know, what, are we going to go to church? Are we not going to go to church? Do I take Advil or leave? What do I do? Those are some little baby questions, but there's some big ones. Sometimes you know they're big questions, and sometimes they're just sprung on you. But big questions. Big questions like, should I get married? Who should I marry? Should I marry this person? Got a job offer. One's in Tulsa, one's in Toledo. They both look good. How do I discover which one is the right one? A house. We've gotten more kids. We have a bigger family. Do we upsize our house? The kids are gone. Do we downsize our house? Do we even have kids? If so, how many do we have? If you're in college age, you know what? Should I go to college? Should I not go to college? If I go to college, what should I major in? What's the right career choice for me? What should I do this summer? Should I get a, a, an internship or should I volunteer? All those things. And those are some hard ones. When I first came to Christ, somebody put a booklet into my hand from the Billy Graham organization. It was called The Four Spiritual Laws. And law number one was God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The question was like, how do I get in on that? And I'm glad he's got a wonderful plan and it had John 10, 10 about the abundant life, but how do I find out what that is? And over the years of doing this pastor thing, I've noticed there's basically two types of, uh, two types of Christians when it comes to how do I discover God's will. Over here on this side, we've got what I'm just going to call him, call him Passive Pete, all right? Passive Pete, when he's got a big decision, he's just passive about it. He's, he's almost like a Christian atheist. 
When he's got a big decision about a job or a relational decision or a financial decision or any kind of decision, he might, he does, he does not think, okay, what's God want? He doesn't look in there to see is there a principle. He doesn't get godly counsel. He doesn't even ask God to show him. He just, you know, one plus one is this, and so I'm going to go with that. That's passive Pete, okay? On the other hand, almost more of an issue and it's not been an issue typically in church history, but in the last 150 years, maybe because there's been such, especially in the West, we've got a myriad of choices. Over here is what we're going to just call paralyzed Pam. She is paralyzed, scared to make a decision. She's kind of a follower of the butterfly effect. You know the butterfly effect? That mathematician came up with this theory that when a butterfly, a butterfly can flap his wings over here, and because of even the flapping of the wings and just that little bit of disturbance you know, in the, in the atmosphere, down here some period of time, hundreds of miles away, can make an impact on a hurricane. Now, I'm not sure if I buy the butterfly effect, but what Christians do when it comes to the butterfly effect are basically this. It's like, you know what? Uh, what happens if God wanted me to go to college A and I chose college B? Is my life now ruined? Or even worse, what happens if I was supposed to meet my wife in college B? I went to college A. Now I didn't even get to meet my wife, so now like I'm married to the wrong person. Okay? And not only that, I, get, I didn't even meet the right woman. So since I didn't meet the right woman, I had the wrong kids. Are these kids even mine? And then what about that kid I looked at in the store the other day, and he kind of looked like me. Was that supposed to be my kid? And so it just kind of, and they get paralyzed. I want to do God's will, but what happens if I mess up? And so... Uh, uh, add on to that, we've got scars. I think most people in here would admit at some point in their life you've made some garbage decisions. We've made some decisions that like, wow, that was a bad decision. If I were to ask you to raise your hand and to say, okay, sometime during the course of my life, have I made a really bad choice that cost me something, all right? Most everybody would raise their hand. All right, those that didn't raise their hand, that'd be a bad choice because you're like lying in front of God and everybody that you've never made a terrible garbage choice. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump in and we're gonna look at some principles about how do we actually discern and then actually do God's will. I think it'll be very freeing to you. The book of Proverbs is all about, okay, how do I make wiser decisions more of the time? How do I make wiser decisions more of the time? And so I'm gonna work through Proverbs chapter four and we're gonna look at a couple of principles, get some out there. And the whole, the whole idea is less regret, um, less regret. I want to be sure you're going to see phrases like, you will not be hampered. Your ways will be sure. You will not stumble. That's what we're shooting for. So here's where we are. I'm going to read, I'm going to make a couple of comments here to remind you. I've highlighted a few words that we're going to land on. So kind of take a mental note of this because we are coming back to it. So starting in verse 10, we're going to work through a, a number of verses, but we're going to do it all up front. Hear my son and accept my words. You're going to see that as a big emphasis. Accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Verse 11, I've taught you the way, and you're going to see the word way or the word path you're going to see this actually used seven times in this short passage. Seven times he's like, follow the path, follow the way. And we're going to make a very integral point of that. Because I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. Verse 12. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. This goes back to words. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path. Now, he's going to go into a little section now about who it is that you listen to. Who do you take counsel from? Who do you take advice from? Who do you go to when you need direction? Who do you spend your life rubbing shoulders with that rubs off on you? And you're going to see this makes a huge difference in the choices you make. 
Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And then he goes back to some of those previous points. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That's a great point, by the way. We're going to come back to it. It's like, keep walking down that path. God, let me give you a little spoiler alert. God never promises and actually rarely tells you the whole plan up front. Did you see that? It's like, I will give you the path, and as you walk down this path, it'll get brighter and brighter and brighter. That is actually the typical way that God works. I'll give you enough to take this next decision, and when you make that next decision, then I'll give you enough to make that next decision. Rarely, rarely does God say, here's a 10-year plan. Here's the 15-year plan. It's usually like, here's the next step plan. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Same thought. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all of their flesh. Now, verse 23 is one of those verses in the Bible that is sort of like a principle that encapsulates many, many, many other things. So check out verse 23. Keep your heart. Some of your translations say guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Some of your translations say diligent. Guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs or the wellsprings of life. We'll come back. The Bible's going to teach us many, many, many times that your heart is like a garden. You take care of it. You tend it. You weed it. Then it will repay you as a teachable spirit. God will be able to speak into you. This is the direction. That's the direction. If you don't take care of your heart, If you don't take care of your heart, if you don't take care of a garden, what happens? It gets crusty, it gets hard, it gets overgrown, good stuff starts to be choked out, you can't see good fruit from it. And he said, that's your heart. Make sure you tend your heart. We'll return to that. Verse 24, a couple more verses. Put away from you crooked speech, put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, your gaze be straight ahead. And check out this, verse 26. Ponder, think about, don't gloss over ponder the path of your feet. The way we would say it is, think about the direction you're going right now. A lot of us have been in church enough times where we walked out having great intention. I intend to do this. I intend to prioritize my family. I intend to read the Bible. I intend to pray. I intend to apologize to my spouse. I intend to forgive the person that hurt me. I intend to do that, but it's not intention that's going to make the difference. What that verse is saying is it's not intention, it is your direction. Your direction is what's going to eventually lead to that destination that you want. Ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. So let's, uh, let's kind of unpack a couple of things in here. Uh, and the first one would be this, and this is kind of going from that one. This has been said a bunch of different ways by a bunch of different people. But here's the way we'll put it. Is God's will, God's will is more about direction than it is about a door. Now, this is an important concept to understand. God's will is more about the direction that you are going, the path that you are taking, the way that you are walking, than it is just a door that you walk through one time. One, one author said it's, 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 more, it's less of a dot that you stand on 
and more of a line that you walk on. You're like, why, why is that so important? Well, here's the reason it's super important. Again, seven times in this passage, God's will is referred to as a path or a way. The somewhat traditional view of the will of God, though, if you look through church history, again, the last 150 years is where this kind of traditional view has actually become super, super popular. And that view is if I pick the right door, the perfect will of God, I've got to do that. If I'm in the perfect will of God, it's all good. But if I ever make a wrong choice, it's, I'm sort of ruined and I got to slum over from God's perfect will over here for my life to God's permissive will over here, which is sort of like a second class citizen. It's like I messed up over here and so now I'm relegated to this over here. Obviously, there are consequences for the choices that we do make. But when you look in the Bible, there's not really this permissive will. You don't see that spelled out. The, the idea that came to mind, some of you all remember that old, uh, that old game show that's like, let's make a deal with Monty Hall. It's like, let's make a deal with Monty Hall. If you hadn't seen it, you can Google it, you can YouTube it, and basically what it is, the thing is he would say, okay, you got three doors and you had door number one, door number two, door number three. And it's like, which door do you want? Do you want one, two, or three? And they'd have to pick one of the doors. And on these doors, there would be two of them that were lame it's like, you know what, behind door number three, he picks door number one. All right. And one of them had like, like a tricycle. Something else had like a set of towels, but one of them was like a new car. And it's like, I, I didn't pick the right door. A lot of people think of God's will that way. It's like, man, I picked the wrong one. Back when I was 20, I married the wrong person, and now I have my, quote, soulmate that I've met now on Facebook or Tinder or whatever. And so uh, that whole idea is that let me say it again. God's will is less like a door, more like direction. When you see it in the Bible, it's about where am I going? How am I living? Am I making good, godly, wise, better choices to put it in another way? Listen to me. This is probably the summation. When you see God's will in the Bible, it has a lot less to do with where you are than who you are. God's will in the Bible is a lot less about where you are. It's like, well, Tulsa or Toledo. It's a lot less about that a lot less about that than it is about who you are, your character, how you're walking. Are you in a Christ-centered life? That's where it is. That's what it's talking about. That's why the Bible says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification means that process whereby God's chipping off different things of your life that are not glorifying to him. It's like, that's the will of God right there. And so here's what happens is we get so consumed. It's like, I got to find this. I got to find this. Let's kind of talk about that term. We got to do about a five-minute theology class because the will of God, the phrase the will of God is oftentimes misunderstood. And in the Bible, you see a few different ways it's used. So let me give you a quick, I know you didn't come to church to get a seminary class, but you gotta kind of, we gotta go up there to be able to come down here where we live, work, and play. The first one is this. You do see the will of God, the phrase the will of God used in what we're just gonna call the sovereign will of God, the providential will of God. That you know what? God in his providence is gonna do some things. When you see the providential will of God or the sovereign will of God, this is like nothing is going to thwart God's sovereign will. Whatever God says will happen, it does happen. It happens on time, every time. God never paces back and forth, wringing his hands, wondering, is that ever gonna happen? Some stuff that God has said, this will happen. It always happens. Now, we don't always get to look in on that. Now, this is key for you. God does not promise that he is gonna show you why he does certain things. It doesn't even be, it's not even super clear whether we even find out when you go to heaven, but he certainly doesn't promise it down here. 
Sometimes in his grace, he does. Sometimes five years after maybe some pain you had, five years down the road, he's like, that's why, that's why, that's why I did that. Sometimes he does let us in on that. A good example of this, Ephesians 1 verse 9, the Bible says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. Him is Jesus. That is, God decided before the creation of the world that he would send his son to die for a human race that had yet to even be created. That the sovereign purpose of God was revealed according to God's timetable and not our timetable. When it comes to God's sovereign will, loved one, it is largely incomprehensible to us. Not always largely incomprehensible to us. Second thing, you can talk about God's will, and it's not just God's sovereign will, it's God's moral will. It's God's written will. It means, you know what, I've written down how men and women can flourish the best. I've written things down about my will when it comes to money or sex or family or whatever. I've written it down already. And I just gotta say this, it's not an asterisk. I can't tell you how many times over the years people will come and say, you know what, God told me to do this. God told me to do this. God told me to And it's not that it's just a little bit away from God's word. It's clearly something God has said, either don't do this or do this that this person does not wanna do. It's like, yeah, but God told me to do No, there's not an asterisk beside this that said, except for Bob. You know, Bob's the exception. Bob doesn't have to do this. Everybody else does. When it comes to God's moral will, another way to think about this is when it comes to the moral will of God, the word of God is the will of God. The word of God is the will of God. He's already told us how to do about 95% of the stuff that we actually have questions on. Now here's the part that we have a lot of questions on and that is God's personal will. His individual will for you and I. His individual, what does he have for me? What does he want me to do with these choices that are right before me? There's a myriad of choices we need guidance for. Who to marry, what college to go to, what job to take, all these kinds of things. Now before we jump into how the Bible tells us to do that, let's talk about a few ways that are very popular today. They have a partial amount of truth in them, but they are not in and of themselves a great way to solely rely on. We ready? because this is gonna hurt some of your feelings and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I'm saying this, people, we have made some of the worst decisions relying solely on these three. And I just, there's probably six or seven, here are the top three. They have a partial amount of truth, but in and of themselves, they are not sufficient. So here, here we go. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is the first one. This is without a doubt the number one way that God's people will oftentimes say, This is what I should do, and the reason I should do it is I have a peace about it. I have a peace about this. I have a peace, I have a a peace about it. Can I just say this? Not one time does the Bible actually say that peace in our hearts is to be our guide for decision making. Go ahead and say it again. Not one time in the Bible does it say that peace in your heart about a choice you are to make is the way that you make a decision and a discernment on this is God's will or not. I know some of you are bristling up a little bit and you've got your fingers ready to send me an email because you're gonna show me an email that's either Philippians 4 or Colossians 3. Those are the two that you're tending to say, okay, I'm gonna show you this. Let me just take those for an example. If you look closely at Philippians chapter four, you're probably gonna refer to verses six and seven. That does not have to do with decisions that you are going to make. It means when you pray in God's fatherly love, he will eventually give you peace because you've given it over to him. Yell at Colossians 3, I've even done the word study, bro. And it says, you know what? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
And I looked up what the word rule means. And rule means to umpire, and you would be correct. You would be correct, Frodo. You would be correct the fact that it says it does mean to umpire. Yes, it does. But if you look at the context of of Colossians chapter 3, it is not about decision-making in the will of God. It is not about discerning what God wants you to do. That whole section is about relational strife. It's about relational strife, and your job is to go and do all you can do to make things right. And if you haven't done all you can do to make things right, then you're not going to have that peace. But if you have, guess what? Then you've done all you can. It's kind of like the book of Hebrews says, as far as it is with you, be at peace with all men. And so uh, I just have peace. I just have peace. I've seen a lot of dumb, I've made a lot of dumb, disobedient decisions predicated on I just had peace. On the flip side, there's been some awesome decisions that I've made. There's been some awesome decisions you've made that really weren't filled with a lot of peace and lack of anxiety and lack of concern and all that. You're like, you're going to show me that in the Bible more than that. I'll give you a couple of examples, all right, about peace. Probably it starts off real early. Look at Eve one time in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And when she was tempted, it says that it was a delight to her eyes. The phrase is, I looked at that and I felt good about that. And this is going to be a good decision that I made. Was that a good decision? It's a terrible decision, costly decision, consequential decision. On the other hand, an op- you know, I, I got peace about this or this is great. Listen to what the apostle Paul actually is going to talk about when you look about, um, well, I tell you what, before I even do that, think about this. When Jesus is in the garden, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, would you say that he's sitting there, he's about to go to the cross the next day. He is going to be put on a piece of wood for the sins of mankind. He's in the garden and he, it says that he is sweating drops of blood. He is so anxious about what is going to go on the next day. That is not like, oh, I've got such peace about tomorrow. No. He's like, you guys, come over and pray with me. Could you not pray with me for one hour? But what does he finally do? He says, not my will, but yours be done. Not why will, but yours be done. It's not like I have peace, I'm gonna do it. It's like your will be done. Now, uh, uh, some of you are like, well, you're just not an emotional person. And and that's actually a true statement. Uh, We had a little family... what do you call this, family discussion over the last couple of days. It's been fun. You ought to do it for maybe a family vacation sometime. And take one of these, we'll take one of these scores. We did the Enneagram. We're having a little discussion on the Enneagram. All right, and uh, those of you that do Enneagram, others of you all do like the Myers-Briggs and all that stuff. But on the Enneagram, which is kind of a cool little uh, test, I mean, it's not gospel, but it is pretty cool to look at. I'm what you call an eight, all right? I'm an eight, and you're like, well, that's a shock. I'm just, don't be rude. I'm, but an eight, an eight basically is not like super, super, super emotional. It's not, he's not super, she's not super empathetic, all right? So you're just like, well, you're just saying you shouldn't do that because you don't like emotions. Listen, I, emotions are a gift from God. Emotions are a gift from God. Emotions are a gift from God, and a lot of us need to get a lot better on the emotion. But when it comes to the Christian life, emotions are a, when it comes to the train of the Christian life, emotions are a fabulous caboose. They are a terrible engine, They're a terrible engine. Feelings are awesome, but if feelings drive your decision-making, you're gonna make some very, very, very poor, costly choices in your life. I just felt like I should do it. That is foolishness according to the book of Proverbs. So um, what about, well, I I had an open door. I should go through that. Well, that would be the second one, okay? You know what? Uh, I knew it was the will of God because he opened the door, or the flip side of that is I knew it was God's will or wasn't God's will because he closed the door. Is that, a, is that a fair way to discern whether or not God's in something or not? The, the, the answer would be it's, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not the. We often think, what do I mean by that? Some of you are like, what do you mean by open doors? 
That idea is we think that when God wants you to do something, he will set up circumstances that either makes it easy, and if it's easy, all the cards fall into place, all the dominoes go correctly. If that happens, that's God's will. Or the flip side is, it's like, man, this is difficult. Man, this is hard. How come it can't ever be easy? Then you're just like, well, he's kind of closing the window, and that's not God's will. That's kind of what we think about. Well, let's just let's sort of test that up. Let's kind of lift it up. What does the scripture actually either give us an example or give us an exhortation from? Okay, if it's an open door, is that God's will? Not always. Example A would probably be the minor prophet in the Old Testament named Jonah. All right, Jonah was called by God to go to a people called the Ninevites. He said, clearly, I want you to get up. I want you to go this direction to Nineveh. What Jonah does is he goes to StubHub, and all they've got a ticket for, they've got a ticket for the opposite direction. And so according to that theory, you're like, well, you know what? It's an open door to go the opposite direction of what God wants. That's not an open door. It's not saying God always wants you to do this. Can I just be blunt? An open door is going to come all the time. Let's say, for example, you have an open door right now for a job. In this job, it's a great opportunity. It's more money. But at the same time, at the same time, your wife and you are kind of in trouble. You're really struggling. Your marriage is really on the brink, and she's begging you and pleading you. It's like, listen, we've got to have you around here more. We've got to work on this marriage. We've got to focus on this. And you look at this job description, and while it's more money, it causes you to be gone 30, 35 weeks a year. That is an open door. Is that God's will? I would say it probably is not. Probably is not God's will. Just because it's an opportunity doesn't mean that's something that God is opening for you. On the flip side, just because it's difficult doesn't mean God is shutting that door. Listen to 1 Corinthians 16.8, great verse about this. 1 Corinthians 16.8 says, the apostle Paul says, a wide door for effective work has opened for me. Listen to it carefully. A wide door for effective work has opened for me, comma, and there are many adversaries. It says a wide door is open for me. A wide door of opportunity is open for me, comma, and, he doesn't say but there are adversaries, so maybe it's not God's will. He says and there are many adversaries. In other words, the door is open, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. Later on, he says this, he says, God told me to go to Jerusalem, but then he said, imprisonments and afflictions await me there. Loved ones, the Christian life is not always about ease. There's a reason that Jesus said, listen, if somebody is not willing to take up their cross, they're not worthy to be called my disciple. Does God oftentimes just pave the way for us? Absolutely, and we thank God for that. But not every difficult thing is a closed door either. You're like, man, my marriage is difficult. That doesn't mean you toss in the towel just because it's difficult. So what about this other one? Here's the last one. And this is the one that I know some of you are gonna be ticked about, but here's the, here's the one that, here's the one that's, it's really not, I prayed about it and God told me. Can God speak to you as you pray? Absolutely. Can God speak any way he wants to? Absolutely. Can God speak through a vision, through a dream, through your prayer life, even through just a holy unction and ambition? You gotta do this. Absolutely he can. Absolutely he can. 
But to say that, you know what, I prayed about it and God told me is almost like shutting up anybody who might actually challenge whether or not that is God's will in your life. See what I'm saying? When you say, hey, God told me this, what's somebody else supposed to say? Well, I just want to oppose what God told you. Not all the time, it's just, listen, listen to it, but verify it through, okay, is there scripture there? Your gut, your gut is not God. Your gut is not God. I prayed about it, therefore it has to be, or the, the summa cum laude is, God told me to tell you. I love that one. God told me to tell you this is God's will for your life. So I was thinking back to that initial track. Instead of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, it's like, you know what? Uh, God loves you and other people have a wonderful plan for your life. So you've got to ask the question, all right, is this God's will? Use it, think about it, but always also say, I'm going to put this through the matrix of some other things. But you're like, well, how am I supposed to get it? Man, I've got I to decide this by Thursday at 4 o'clock. How am I supposed to decide? All right, let's look back at the text. God will give you guidance. God will guide you in these things. And you can see it all throughout, the, all throughout chapter four, verse 10. Hear, my son, verse 12, keep hold of my words. Verse 14, do not go this direction. The whole book of Proverbs in a nutshell is get some counsel, get some guidance. So how do I do that? How do, what are some practical steps on whether or not I know and doing the will of God? So here's the first one. This would eliminate a lot of them. You got a big decision. Take off the table, take off the table unbiblical options. Just take them off the table. If if the Bible either prohibits it or says to do it, say, you know what? I already know right off the bat there's some things God told me to do and told me not to do. A lot of times Christians will trip themselves up in a decision because they've included options that directly violate what the book already says. Just eliminate a lot of it saying, you know what, that's not God's will for me. By the way, that's why we're always saying, get in the word, get in the word, just read it, just read it. Put put the U version on your phone, get the dwell app, put that on your phone so you're just listening and listening. Obviously, the more you know, the more you know, the more you know, the better your heart will be. So he says, guard your heart, guard your heart. That's the single biggest factor in making a good decision. Here's the way Augustine put it. Augustine said, real life change, real life change, doing the will of God doesn't begin with an act of the will or in the new and better decision, but in changing the loves of your heart. And that happens through learning of Jesus and you learn of Jesus in this book. Your heart determines whether or not you're gonna do the will of God and the word of God determines the condition of your heart so you won't do the will of God any more than you know the word of God. So what's it saying? It's like getting the word, getting the word, getting the word. So let's just do a test run on this, okay? I kind of intimated it early. Let's do a little test run. That verse 26 says this. Verse 23 says, guard your heart for from it, from it flow the wellsprings of life. So is my heart healthy? Is my heart submissive? Is my heart submissive to what God wants? Do I look to God like a concierge? I mean, is he like there just to give me everything I want or I'm actually submitted to say, God, tell me, you know what's best, you're sovereign, you know what's best for me to flourish. But then you've gotta ask the question, all right, ponder the path of your feet. Where are my feet taking me right now? And is that where I wanna go? So let's, be, let's, let's get it down to where we live. Let me ask you again, because here's the intention, it's been put this way by several guys, it's not about your intention. You might intend to do 10 different things. It's not intention that leads you where you want to go. It is the direction. That's why he says, think about where your feet are taking you. 
I give you 10 different examples. Let me take about, let me take about five. He says, ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path of your feet. So you're sitting there and you're like, you know what? In my, in my mind, I want, I want to, I want to have a, I want to, I want to marry a Christian and I want to have a Christian home and these awesome kids and we want to have our life revolve around church. That's what my goal is right now. But right now you're, you're dating someone seriously who wants nothing to do with God, who has no attention to Jesus at all. And you're like, yeah, well, I intend for this. It's not about your intention. It's about your direction. What direction are your feet taking you right now? Others of you are like, and, uh, you're like, you know, I want to be that, I want to be that cute senior adult couple that I see at, at, at Publix. You know, I see him at Publix and they're, they're so cute and he dotes on her and they go out to the car and I spied on him one time and he opened the door so gently and then he kind of waddled around the car and he got in and she looked at him with that little gleam in his eyes like he's my knight in shining armor. It's like, I want that. I want to be that couple. But right now, right now, right now, what happens is you I mean, you, you, you trash him in front of your friends. You embarrass him in front of the kids. You're wondering, why will he not take some spiritual leadership? Ponder, the where is this path taking me? You're a business person and you're like, you know what, man, I tell you what, we got a, we got a six-year-old and a four-year-old. I can't wait to be close with them. My goal is for them to be close with me when I'm 65 and retired. That's what I want. But right now, right now, right now, you're working like 80 hours a week. They don't see you. When you come home, they're asleep. When you leave in the morning, they're asleep. And you're like, it's just a season. But the season has lasted 10 and a half years. That's how long it's lasted. Ponder the path of your feet. Where is this pathway taking me? That pathway is taking you to cats in the cradle. That old song, it's like, you know what? I'm retired now. I want Jimmy to come over and throw the ball, but Jimmy's busy living in Toledo, and he doesn't ever want to come home. He didn't see you when you were there. Others of you are like, you know what? I tell you what, the day's going to come when I'm going I'm to build a child development center. I love those compassion days and those videos you show. God's really blessing me, and there's going to be a day when I'm going to stand up, and we're going to build a CDC in Ecuador like those other people, like we built those other ones. We're going to build one. But right now, you know, it's like every time you get a little promotion, your style of living just goes up. You max out your credit cards. You're figuring out how to make a minimum payment at 18%, and you're like, where, pa- ponder the path of your feet. We don't even get depressed if you're like 50 and you hadn't put anything away from retirement. You're like, guess what? Ponder the path. Where is this path taking me? So eliminate some ungodly options. And let me just give you one more. And you're like, well, there's no option. There's nothing in here. It's just a matter of, I don't know. I don't know. Should I make this decision or not? Ask yourself this. Is there a principle or a precept that God wants me to take right this minute? Is there a general, is there a general step that I need to take. I'll give you a hundred examples about this. Remember, it's about a direction, not a door. So what does that look like? There was no verse. There's no verse in the Bible that is going to tell you directly, you are to marry this person. There's not, unless her name is Mary or Dorcas or Esther. You're not going to find a verse in here that's like, go marry Esther. Okay. You're not going to find that. 
You're going to find, though, 100 principles. So for, let me just give you my journey. I'm sitting there, and I'm a seminary student in Fort Worth, Texas. There was no verse. There was no verse in here that said, my will for you, Bruce, is to marry Lori Lynn Masters and make her Lori Masters Frank. There was no verse. I could say, the verse says it right there. But what I could do is I could look at the verses, many verses, like he who finds a wife finds a good thing. There's verses like Proverbs 31 that also talks about what a good, godly wife is. Other verses that says, you know what, you're gonna be sanctified in marriage. I could look at Lori Lynn Masters and say, that's a, that's a young lady. Now, she's only 20 when we started dating or so, so it's like, but you could see the trajectory. You know what? It's like, that's a lady who loves Jesus. That's a lady who's hungry for the things of God. That's a lady who wants to serve Jesus for the rest of her life. Tack on to the fact that the chemistry was awesome and she was a godly fox. On top of all that, you're like, that's got to be God's will. I mean, that has got to be God's will. So you're sitting there saying, okay, how do I decide that? First thing is I got to get rid of unbiblical options. Let me give you a second one. Ask godly counsel. Ask godly counsel. Chapter four goes into the negative. It's like, don't do that. Don't walk in the way of the wicked. Don't find yourself there. Usually Proverbs is in the positive. It has tons of verses like, in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. So it's always talking about getting good counsel, getting godly counsel. When you're dealing with non-ethical choices that are clear, not clearly laid out in scripture, ask godly counsel. Now, I don't, the gospel is amazingly redemptive. Please hear me on this, because what I'm about to say is gonna sound a little bit harsh. The gospel is amazingly redemptive. We've all messed up a ton of times. God is the expert of taking a mess that we've made and turning it into a message and into a ministry. All of that is very true. The reason that the, God, the gospel, there's only one hero in the Bible, that's Jesus, there's a bunch of villains, that's us. All that being said, when you are going for counsel, when you're looking to make a decision and to make a wise, discerning decision about what's God's best for my life, what chapter four is clearly saying repeatedly is be careful on who you ask. If you're going to ask about financial wisdom, don't necessarily get advice from somebody who's on their third chapter 11. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying God can't redeem that guy that's filed chapter 11 so many times. I'm saying when you're looking for, should this be a good decision I'm making, you go to somebody who loves Jesus, who God obviously obeys biblical principles. If you say my marriage is struggling, I need to go to a godly guy to have him speak into me. Don't go to a guy who has a string of broken marriages to ask about marital counsel. I'm not saying God can't use his scars. What I'm saying is you go to somebody who has used biblical principles for a track record and get, tell me what you see. Tell me what you see. Go up to them and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. I wanna honor God. I wanna build Jesus' kingdom. Give them some background and ask them, what do you think? What do you think about this? And go to a few, don't just go to one and don't keep going to somebody until they give you the answer that you wanna hear. Don't keep going, well, he didn't tell me, he didn't tell me. She finally told me that's gotta be God's will. If you've never changed your mind 
after getting godly counsel, chances are you are not a very teachable person. If there's never been a time when you were going this direction, then you got some good godly counsel, people that love you, people that you respect, but people who don't fear you, people who don't just look up to you in awe, people that will tell you the truth. If you've never changed your mind based on some godly counsel, you probably just need to ask God for a teachable heart. Say, God, give me a teachable heart because I don't, I don't change. And if that, after that one, ask godly counsel, but then you can actually ask God for some wisdom. This is what's awesome. James chapter one, verse five says this, ask for wisdom. That's awesome. Ask for wisdom. And God who gives generously and without reproach will give it. What does that look like? That means God, I've, I've got, take some stuff out of my heart that I know just help me to eliminate the unbiblical part. So right off the bat, what does that mean? Let me, let me run through a couple of filters. Let's say you've got three job opportunities. Three job opportunities would be okay. I've got these three jobs as I study and look and do my research. One of those companies that is offering me a job has a fairly shady reputation. As I look, some other people that work for them really felt that their integrity is getting compromised. And there's no reason for me to think that they're not going to ask me to compromise if I work for them. So what can you do? You can take that option number one and say that's out of here. So now you're down to two. And maybe you can do that with two. Maybe one of them's asking too much of you away from home. But even if you got two, listen to me, there is validity in two, two choices where God says, hey, pick whichever one you want. You're like, that doesn't sound real godly. You know what? Look in the book of Acts and see how often you see that phrase repeated, that it seemed good to us to do this. It seemed good to us to do that. You're like, well, weren't there some dreams and visions and all that kind of stuff in the book of Acts? There were. That was the exception, not the rule. The rule typically was, hey, it seemed, like, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to go over here, and so we went over there. It seemed good to me and the Holy Spirit and the council and biblical wisdom to take the job in Tulsa. You're like, what happens if I mess up? What if he didn't mean Tulsa and I misheard and he meant Toledo? What happens then? I mean, I messed up, man. I messed up. Let me give you a couple of closing thoughts about that whole thing. Um, Write this one verse down in Proverbs. It'll encourage you. And then I'm gonna, I wanna pray for you and pray kind of over your campus. Pastor's gonna pray for the campuses as well. But Proverbs 3, verse six. Some of you have this. If, if this would be like probably in the top five verses, probably in the top five verses you wanna memorize. Like when you're a brand new Christian, people are like, here are the verses you need to memorize. Proverbs 3, five and six are probably in the top five. First John 1, 9, right there. Ephesians 2, 8. Top five, Proverbs three, five, and six, top five, all right? Verse six says this. Verse six says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. In all your ways, acknowledge him, comma, and he will direct your paths. So that's kind of, think of it as a contract. It's kind of a my part and then God's part. What is my part? In all your ways, acknowledge him. What does acknowledge mean? It means to bring him to bear on the decision. It means to bring him to bear. It means to look in the Bible. Is there a principle, a precept, a prohibition? Okay, get some godly counsel. What are they saying? I've prayed about it. I'm not passive Pete over here. I've prayed about it. That's your part. I'm bringing him to bear. You honestly like, God, I wanna do what you wanna do. I wanna do what's gonna build your kingdom and glorify Jesus. That's why I'm here. That's what I want to do. And then he says, and I will make your path straight. 
It doesn't make it easy. He says, but I will work behind the scenes even if you don't know that I am working behind the scenes to make your paths straight. If I do my part, which means availing myself to all the different means, then he will do his part. He will direct my paths. You're like, well, I don't understand that. Well, here's like the, here's like the total safety net. Total safety net is this. And this is, we're gonna, it's insulting, but it's also comforting. All right, so it's insulting, but it's so comforting when we think about it. 200 times in the Bible, 200, over 200 times in the scriptures, God refers to his sons and daughters, his people, as sheep. And some of you are like, oh, that feels so good to be a snuggly little sheep. I love being a little sheep. I love being one of God's little lambs, okay? And that is encouraging. But if you look at all the scriptural context from Isaiah to Luke, it's not a compliment. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. They are dumb animals, all right? They're dumber than cats, okay? That's how dumb sheep are. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are directionless. They don't have any idea. They're like, they'll run off a cliff. They'll just walk off. I'm just walking off. They'll fall over and get what is called cast, where they like, you know, feet up in the air, helpless. They don't know what to do. The, con- the confidence in you walking in God's will is not in how awesome you are as a sheep. You understand that? The confidence that we have is you have an awesome shepherd who then guides you. Our only job is to listen to what the shepherd says and as best we can, stay super close to the shepherd. And if we're there, he's gonna lead you into the green pastures. He's gonna protect you from what you need to be protected from. My job is to simply stay close to the shepherd. You're like, well, I'm depressed, man. I'm depressed because I, and I'm serious. Some of you are like, man, I made a terrible, terrible choice. I didn't, most of us can look at our worst choices and we didn't look at God's word. We didn't bring God into account. It's like, I'm still bearing the consequences of that. And while consequences don't go away, I just want you to understand. The gospel of Luke actually goes a point. It says, you know what? Jesus goes after the one sheep that has gone away. The sheep that has left, the sheep that is in trouble, he says, you know what? I'm gonna leave some of these and I'm gonna go back and get that sheep. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're that sheep and you need to understand the grace of God. God can restore so many of the years that have been wasted, but your job right now is to say, okay, I gotta go a different direction. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Campus pastors to the other campuses, you come up on the platform, you're gonna ask them a question about who wants prayer and then you're gonna pray as an under-shepherd for them. And so Arden Campus, look at me for, don't look, don't, excuse me, sorry, don't look at me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Seriously, heads bowed, eyes closed. Please don't get up and leave. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. How many of you would just be humble enough or transparent enough or authentic enough to say, man, I really have got a big decision to make that's gonna, could possibly make a difference. Again, some of you know it's right on your doorstep. Some of you, it's gonna come on your doorstep and you don't even see it coming. But how many right now would say, you know what? I, I got a big decision to make. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for like five seconds, just put your hand up and say, would you please pray for me to have discernment of what God's will, God's best is? Put your hand up, heads bowed, eyes closed. Just put your hands up real tall so I can see them. Awesome, awesome. Okay, you can put them down. Father, thank you for 
say we have not because we ask not. When we ask, we ask with the wrong motives. Got every single person in this room that raised their hand and said, would you please pray for me? Would you please pray for me? God, I want to pray for them right now. You know exactly what is going on. You know what wisdom they need. You know what guidance they need. My prayer today is very specific that you would give them the guidance for the next step that they need to take. The next, all that they need to do, show that to them very clearly. As the day goes on today, give them a teachable, soft, pliable heart. Give them a heart that trusts you and understands that your will is the best, most flourishing thing they could possibly ever hope for. God, speak into their life through the word of God, through the people of God, and then prayers back to you. God, give them that direction. Whatever You can speak whatever way you want to. But God, speak to them. Give them the confidence that they know that their shepherd is leading them, that they are close and following to you. God, if there's some change of direction that they need to make, give them the spiritual guts and faith to make a change of direction to get back by your side. If it's a phone call they need to make, an apology they need to make, help them to do that today to get back close to you. God, most of all, thanks for the grace we have in the gospel. That even if you've gone away, the gospel cleanses us from all sin. God, if somebody doesn't even understand the gospel, help them to turn from their way of trying to make life work and embrace Jesus by faith right now, right now. God, we love you. Thank you for the incredible covering up of some just crazy choices we've made. But our prayer is for the glory of God, the advancement of the kingdom. Help us to make God-honoring in God's will choices, even as a church. God, thank you for even this past Wednesday night when a bunch of leaders are around the table and we're thinking, what is God's will for us as a church about this direction or that direction? Thank you for the collective wisdom. And over the months ahead, show us exactly steps we need to take. Jesus, we love you. We pray the next few weeks as we look at some very pregnant areas of our life that we need to know how the word of God teaches us. Help us to have a heart that's teachable, pliable, and open for change. In Jesus' name, amen.